Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Well, hey there, it's Amanda Gornieri, and welcome back to another episode of the Nurse Becoming podcast. Really excited that you joined me today. I really appreciate you listening and tuning in and spending some time with yourself, or maybe you have other people around, but spending some time on yourself, listening to messages about your career and about your personal development and professional development. I'm just really happy to have you here in my community. So thank you so much. Today, I want to talk about something that an idea that has been kind of rolling around in my head for about a year now. And I've finally started to get this idea down on paper. And this episode is going to be me attempting to talk through this idea that I think is really important for us as nursing professionals to acknowledge and understand that's kind of a problem in healthcare. And I'm going to call this concept the empathy gap because based on some research that I've done, there is some existing terminology that refers to the concept of an empathy gap within relationships. And I specifically want to introduce this to you through the lens of healthcare, medicine, nursing, so that I can explain it to you and and explain my thoughts about what it means for our profession. So let me just give you a little bit of an intro and some backstory about what I am talking about when I talk about the empathy gap. So I've worked in emergency medicine for many years as a nurse practitioner, probably six years or so. And over that time, I have observed something repeatedly that I could not put my finger on until about a year ago. So setting the scene in the emergency department, you know, there's chaos, you know, there's trauma, there's disaster, there's highs and lows. It's a very unpredictable place. And patients, for the most part, regardless of why they are presenting, many of them are emotionally distraught in some way. Either they're in pain or there's something that is making this really one of the worst days that they're experiencing for some reason. So the the emotional charge of the patient's is very hot. Like there's some sort of heated emotion going on that has brought them to the emergency department. And that's pretty consistent among most patients there. Whereas the providers and the nurses tend to be a bit more stoic, unexcitable, 
and focused on the execution of the task and the flow of the phases of care, right? If you've ever worked in the emergency department, there's, you know, everyone kind of has their role. There are phases of care. You know, there's the triage phase, the treatment phase, then there's, you know, the reevaluation and then admission or discharge. And there are kind of pieces to that puzzle that make things flow pretty smoothly. And what we strive for is efficient care, um, efficient and effective and kind of quick movement throughout those phases. So we are taught that the important metrics are door to disposition times, pain medication administration times, transfer and consult. You know, it's essentially a 24-7 revolving door of care for everybody, regardless of what they come in with. And that's just the nature of the beast of emergency medicine. But I have worked in the area long enough to notice something that happens quite often. And it's confusion on the faces of patients and family members when we, as the healthcare providers, don't appear to have the appropriate affect and the appropriate emotional response to traumatic or seemingly high energy situations. For example, there's a traumatic event that brings them to the emergency department. They are in pain. They are emotionally heightened. And we are not. We don't reflect that back to them. We are calm. We are collected. We are stoic. Because this is what we see every day. This is normal to us. And a lot of the times, the fact that these things can be so normal to us can be really distressing for the patient and the family. They can look at us and wonder, why are you not more concerned? And if you've worked in emergency medicine or you've worked in any sort of scenario where the patients are in a high energy, you know, a hot state and you as the nurse or the healthcare provider are staying in like a calm and cool state, you may have experienced this. You may have seen this where they're wondering why you're not more concerned because it's human nature really to kind of take on or to reflect the emotions of what someone else is going through. And, you know, it's important to remain calm in order to provide objective and well-executed care. You know, this is kind of what we are taught to do. It's not a bad thing that we stay calm and cool. But what I have sensed is that part of this kind of hot versus cold relationship really can be interpreted as or can actually be detachment or dissociation between the healthcare provider, you know, us and the humans that we treat. And when that is a true detachment or a true dissociation or a true inability to acknowledge and be in that difficult moment with the patient or the family member, that's what I refer to as the empathy gap in healthcare. Okay, so hopefully that explains what I'm even talking about. Um, so George Lowenstein, who um, researched this at Carnegie Mellon, a researcher, has defined the his terminology as the hot-cold empathy gap. And essentially, this refers to cognitive biases, whereas it's the difficulty to perceive the intensity of the counterpart's experience. 
So it's kind of this um, innate bias that if I'm not in pain and you are in pain, I have a bias where it's difficult for me to relate to your current lived experience because because of the difference of of our of our experience. So, you know, we talk about empathy and we talk about being and how it's different from sympathy, right? How empathy is really being in that moment with someone and holding that space in that moment, but it is hard and it is not always natural for everybody. And it is difficult to truly perceive what the other person is going through if we haven't been there ourselves. Okay. So I want to kind of put this into some perspective and see if maybe you have experienced this feeling that I am referring to. So have you ever told someone something very personal or vulnerable? And this doesn't have to be like a patient provider relationship, but have you ever kind of uh, like put your heart on the line or explained something that was difficult or shared something and felt like you were really vulnerable in putting yourself out there. But the other person you were talking to, did you feel like they weren't actually seeing you or weren't actually hearing you? Like, have you ever explained something to somebody and felt like this vacancy of emotion from them, either with how they look in their facial expression or how they respond. You know, are they, are you responding? Are you telling something very emotionally charged and they are responding in a very detached manner? It's really difficult if you've ever been in that situation where you've, you know, finally decided to get up the guts to share this, or you're telling someone an experience that you went through that was really difficult. And what you're getting on the other side of that conversation is, you know, a a detached emotional response. It can be really uncomfortable for you as the person sharing. And, you know, there can be some shame that is felt. Uh, You can kind of feel like you're, you know, naked in front of a crowd, so to speak. And not that you're being mocked or laughed at, but it can feel like a very difficult moment to not be seen or understood. And this is just, you know, I'm just talking about everyday life situations. If you've ever, you know, talked to a friend or a partner or, you know, a trusted loved one, family member about something difficult uh, and you have felt this, then you probably know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about an empathy gap. So imagine now, and maybe you don't have to imagine because this has been real life for you, but imagine that this is happening in the healthcare setting with you as the patient. So you now as the patient are sharing something difficult and your healthcare provider doesn't actually see you or try to understand. And some very serious examples or some very charged examples of this would be, you know, a patient sharing an experience of sexual assault or a patient sharing experience of a pregnancy loss or a miscarriage or domestic violence or not just, you know, we're not just talking about someone having a hangnail, but someone who's going through something that is not only affecting them physically, but also mentally and emotionally, which is many, you know, which are many complaints and traumatic events and healthcare related issues that are experienced. And, and to another point, even when 
someone's experience or someone's complaint seems small to us, it can often be very serious for them. So imagine you're the patient in this scenario and you are sharing this in an attempt to get the help that you need and your healthcare provider doesn't actually see you or try to understand. They're not with you in that very moment. They're distracted or they're, you know, thinking about their next question for you before they've heard your answer to the previous one. Okay. You can probably, you can probably picture that. You may have even been there. And, you know, we, I feel strongly that we need to be in that space with patients, regardless of how many times we've seen that complaint. And this hot, cold empathy gap makes it difficult to understand their lived experience. But showing that we understand them, trying to be with them in that moment, in my opinion, is just as powerful as whatever Western medicine we are facilitating. Okay, so being seen and understood and being given permission to take up the space with our feelings is healing. Okay, it's healing to us emotionally. And when patients can heal emotionally, I think that it can accelerate them healing, you know, physically, medically. So I'm going to go back to that experience or that example of someone who is um, coming to the emergency department with pregnancy loss. So trigger warning here, I'm going to talk a little bit about pregnancy loss. So if that is not comfortable for you, you can skip through this. So I've taken care of a patient with this scenario multiple times. Someone who, you know, has been wanting to get pregnant is finally pregnant for the first time and has some bleeding, comes to the emergency department. And ultimately we diagnose that they are having a miscarriage. From the emergency provider's perspective, the important thing to do is to exclude ectopic pregnancy right? If you were going to talk to any emergency medicine physician, basically the workup would be either confirm there's an intrauterine pregnancy or they need more attention if there isn't a sign of intrauterine pregnancy. So the fact that they could be having pregnancy loss doesn't really affect the decision-making from an emergency medicine standpoint because there's not much to do to intervene. And what's important really is the follow-up and did they have an intrauterine pregnancy before they were miscarrying. So that's, that's like the medical workup of this scenario. You know, confirm intrauterine pregnancy or not, and then give anticipatory follow-up and guidance if they appear that they could be having a pregnancy loss. And then that's it. You discharge them. You discharge them home. You tell them what to expect and you tell them to follow up. Now, From a medical perspective, it's a pretty straightforward kind of guideline or algorithm to caring for that patient and providing them their disposition of like admission versus discharge home. But for a moment, you know, I'd like you to put yourself in the space of that patient. Maybe that's a patient who's never before been to the emergency department because they're young, otherwise healthy, someone who has no idea what to expect because... This is the first time they were pregnant Um, and someone who is losing something that they have wanted for a very long time. So 
this example is kind of a prime example of something that's going to be more difficult for them, for the patient emotionally than it is medically. Medically, you know, the expectation is pretty straightforward of what will happen. It will be uncomfortable. It will not be life-threatening for the most part. But emotionally, this can be devastating and have devastating effects for a long, long time. And there's a disconnect with what the kind of standard of care is in terms of how we treat this person medically versus how we care for them emotionally in that moment. So my role or what I have seen as my role is to give very clear medical instructions, but more importantly, to sit in that moment with the patient and, you know, their partner, if they have a partner there with them, family member, and to hold space for that moment and to let them say what they need to say, to tell them that it's okay, however they're feeling, and to give them space to share all that because it is important and it is part of their healing process to also go through the emotional healing process as well as the medical healing process. So imagine, you know, being that patient and having a provider who basically comes in and says, great news, you don't have an ectopic pregnancy. Um, It does appear that you are having a miscarriage, um, but we can discharge you home, take some ibuprofen and call your OBGYN in the morning for some blood work and a repeat ultrasound. That is a disconnect, right? Like that is a detached and non-sensitive, non-empathy way of caring for that patient. You know, it is really the provider or the nurse's job to assess the patient's emotional state and to reflect it back to them and to validate however they're feeling emotionally. Because we as humans are allowed to take up space with our feelings and our emotions. And, you know, time and time again in my experience, having taken care of that same patient, essentially, I've been keenly aware of what's going on in the department when that's been happening and how putting myself in the patient's shoes and how difficult it can feel and seem to have everything else go on around them as normal when they are experiencing something devastating. And, you know, to have cheery caregivers or, you know, people laughing outside of their room or whatever it is, like I I can't help but feel badly and feel like it's even more of a reason why we need to take the time to acknowledge what that patient is going through and to validate them. Now, like I said earlier, this is kind of an extreme example, but I think that anybody who's in pain, this is still something that we can practice in terms of practicing empathy and validating someone's lived experience, right? I think that that is so important, but because we as healthcare providers see so many different displays of how patients present, I think that it's easy for us to decide what their lived experience should be. And 
I think that's a big problem because then that determines the degree of empathy and the degree of caring that we provide for the patient. Now, I think that part of this empathy gap serves a purpose and is partly self-preservationist of us, maybe. You know, we must compartmentalize to a degree to deal with the trauma, the secondary trauma that we experience on a regular basis. And often we cope through laughter, through memes, through kind of this dark humor, uh, and it's how we detach from the situation, which I think is a healthy way of coping. But when it's observed by patients, it is the opposite of comforting. When patients see us in that coping state, I think that it can be really problematic and harmful to patients. So I wish patients knew that better about us and knew that that was our coping mechanism as nurses and healthcare providers. But I also wish that nurses and healthcare providers knew what it looked like from the patient and family perspective to see such calmness and coolness when what they want is understanding and empathy and validation of their experience. I think also part of this is the culture of healthcare. And I think that there's a little bit of a difference between the culture of medicine and the culture of nursing. I feel like the culture of medicine is more stoic and straight-faced, whereas the culture of nursing tends to be a more nurturing role, right? Like the archetype of us as nursing professionals is a more nurturing role, essentially. And, you know, I want to bring in the idea of burnout here. And some would probably say that burnout happens because of too much secondary trauma and too much kind of overcaring for people. But I have to wonder if some of it could be because we are forgetting what it means to be vulnerable and to see and to be seen. Could it be that burnout happens when we detach too much from the nature of human connection and experience, whether that's with our patients, with ourselves, or with, you know, the people in our lives. I think that another contributing factor could be perfectionism. And healthcare has changed a lot over the years, particularly as it becomes a more metric-driven system. And so I have to wonder, is healthcare striving for excellence or is it striving for perfectionism? Because the truth is there's nothing healthy about perfectionism. And you all know I love Brene Brown. And she says that perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief that fuels the thought of basically, if I look perfect and I do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of blame, judgment, and shame. So I have to wonder, is that what is motivating our healthcare system with all these changes? Is it the avoidance of blame or are we actually striving for excellence? Brene Brown also talks about how perfectionism is an unattainable goal that is focused on the perception rather than the internal motivation. So with the way healthcare has gone over the years, it really has me wondering if all of these new initiatives and metrics are driven by the perception of others, the perception of patients, the perception of the community, rather than by the internal motivation to actually provide higher quality patient care. I don't know. (laughs) 
Let me know what you think about that. But I, it makes me wonder, could healthcare's possible perfectionism be contributing to this empathy gap? Can we, as recovering perfectionists, because I'm sure there are plenty of perfectionists in our profession, myself included, I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist because I've at least acknowledged that there's no such thing as perfectionism. But could we, as recovering perfectionists, learn to hold space in the discomfort, in the unknown, in the unfixable, and in the broken? You know, we are not usually comfortable facing something that's not fixable. We are healers. We are fixers. If we see something broken, we want to fix it. But is there a place for actually just sitting in that space and acknowledging the brokenness as opposed to trying to rush to the next step to fix it? And I think that, you know, I've been thinking about this concept since way before COVID-19, but it has, you know, the pandemic has really forced me or caused me to think about it even more because I have observed, and maybe you have too, I have observed a shift in how we care for patients and how we perceive patients. I have heard stories of, you know, not to bring it back to pregnancy, but, you know, I am a mom, a reproductive age woman, and a lot of people in my life are having babies and families. But I have heard scenarios of women going for ultrasounds and being treated like a germ, you know, basically um, in everyone in full PPE, the sonographer not taking the time to go through all the pictures and explain because the goal is to have the least amount of human contact as possible. Like what, what has happened to us that the goal of healthcare is now to reduce the amount of face-to-face contact we have with patients? And, and don't get me wrong, I totally understand the reason, like I, I fundamentally understand that, but it makes me wonder what this pandemic situation is going to do to this empathy gap. And I think it's going to widen it. I think that if we now have this new message of everybody could be a germ, like treating everyone as a potential infected person, I think that it is going to, not only in healthcare, but kind of in everyday life, change the game of how we interact face-to-face and in person and how we display our empathy towards others. So my main takeaway message um, and my hope for you is this, please do the work to understand the patient experience and to try your best to be in that moment with people. If you haven't yet listened to Katie Duke's podcast episodes on the Bad Decisions podcast that she has, which is phenomenal, by the way, she has a series of episodes about her experience having COVID-19. And she came to this very similar realization about what it's like to be the patient instead of the provider. And I think that these episodes are a great listen. I'm going to link them in the show notes, and I really encourage you to go listen to them because it really, you know, if you have not been a patient ever, or if you have not been in a very vulnerable patient experience, it can be hard to understand what I'm talking about. And it can be even harder to show true empathy 
towards patients. But I really think that the future of healing within our profession is to connect and show that true empathy. But the institution as a whole is pushing us away from that. So I really want you to stay connected to it, to do what you need to do to remain in that state of caring and vulnerability among all of your patients, because ultimately, this is why we do this. This is why we get into this profession. This is what it means to be a healer in the truest sense. So I would love your thoughts on this episode. This is the first time I'm sharing about this idea of mine, and I would really love to get your feedback. So if you would, you know, screenshot this episode, screenshot that you're listening, share it out on Instagram and tag me with your thoughts. Or if you want to hop into my direct messages on Instagram at the resume RX, I would just love to hear from you and love to hear your feedback about this episode and whether it resonated with you and your biggest takeaway. And is it going to affect how you practice and how I'd, I'd love to know. Thanks again for being here, for spending some time with me, and I will see you or talk to you again soon. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.